Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hello, hello. Welcome back to Live Your Personal Best. Today's episode is something a little different. It's less fitness, more healthy living. But this month, October, is Eat Better, Eat Together month. And so I wanted to do something around that topic because I think it's a great idea, right? Not just, you know, you're cooking for yourself and eating healthier alone, but this idea of how can your healthy choices influence the people around you or bring your family together or whoever it is that you're living with. And so a great way to approach this is by actually growing your own healthy food. And so today we have on Danielle, who is a garden mentor and has a background in public health. And I love this conversation because gardening is never an activity that I would think to pick up. For me, gardening seems like a lot of work or really stressful, or I just am not living in the right place to garden. Maybe you've said the same thing to yourself. Like I live in a small city apartment in the Northeast with no outdoor area. And she gives suggestions on how even I can grow, how I can grow indoors, what would be best suited for that. And so no matter who you are, if you've ever thought of gardening before, or if it's something that's never crossed your mind, you're going to get a lot out of this conversation. We talk about how to make gardening more of an unwinding activity for you, less stressful, how to grow in any space. And then also, even if you aren't going to grow your own food, how you can cook and build recipes around fresh food and foods that are in season. And so, great conversation. Love that we're able to bring this in for Eat Better, Eat Together Month and hope that this inspires you to maybe grow something of your own. And if it does, please reach out on Instagram. It's at liveyourpb. Go take a picture of your garden, what you're growing, tag me on Instagram. I'd love to see it. And with that, let's get started with this week's episode. What's up and welcome to the Live Your Personal Best podcast. This is the place where I help current and former athletes like you to show up confidently in the gym and in life. I'm your host, Emily Kaufman, a former Division I athlete and author of Elite to Everyday Athlete. I'm going to show you how to stay motivated in reaching your goals and how to have more fun doing it. So let's sweat it out and start living your personal best. Hey guys, today we are joined by Danielle Smith. She's a professional garden mentor and founder of Garden Like a Mother. She helps busy women cultivate happier, healthier, and more intentional lives by growing veggie gardens at home. She's a self-taught gardener and holds a master's degree in public health with an emphasis on food systems and chronic disease prevention. I'm so excited that you're here today, Danielle. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So you mentioned that you're a self-taught gardener. So how did you become first interested in gardening? 
So I first got interested in gardening when I was going through my master's degree degree program because so much of what I was learning about was the importance of diet in a healthy life and obviously like where your food comes from, where it was grown, how it was grown feeds into that. Um, so I became intrigued by the idea of gardening, but I actually like sat on my desire to be a gardener for I think like three or four years, frankly, um, because it was just like too overwhelming to get started. I just didn't know where to start. And I just, every year I thought this is going to be my year. And then I would not do it. But finally, I got over that hump um, and started and I've just been hooked on it ever since. So I know that you said, you know, gardening can help with your mental and physical health goals. How do you see that happen? Yeah, so I think this is one of the things when I decided to become a garden coach. Uh, at first, I was struggling to know how to differentiate myself because there is so many blogs and books and YouTube videos out there about like how to garden, right? Garden tips. Um, but what I realized in my unique perspective, because I have a public health background, I am always looking with a, an eye to wellness and I have seen, you know, the food is great that I get from my garden. Don't get me wrong. I love having fresh food. That's nutritious. I know how it was grown. I know that it's not, you know, covered in pesticides that I don't want to be eating. But it's honestly, at the end of the day, it's not about the food, which sounds funny to say as a gardening coach is like your garden isn't about the food, but it really isn't. Whenever you talk to gardeners who are really passionate about gardening, they always say, and you might have heard this, like gardening is my therapy. And regardless, if something goes wrong in your garden and a crop fails and you don't end up getting to harvest it or like an animal comes and eats things that you still get out of it a really great experience that grounds you and puts you into the seasons in a way that I think we really need in our modern day world um, and gets you off technology, gets you outside, gets you physically active, um, makes you slow down and be paid, like present and just gives you that solitude period that so many of us need to decompress, de-stress from our daily lives. Um, and all that happens, as long as you're looking at your garden and using it intentionally for that, it happens regardless of the food that you get out of it at the end. I love that approach to it. Cause I think, you know, from an outside perspective, you can be like, oh, gardening seems really stressful, right? Like I have to learn about all these things and what about the weather and like, how much time does it take? But when you look at it through the aspect of like, no, this is me like intentionally using like this stress-free activity to get outside active, all those things that you mentioned, that's like a, a whole different approach to it. Yeah. And that's exactly why I started my coaching business, because that's what happens to new gardeners when they go into it is they're all so focused on getting this end result of this food. And that gets really overwhelming and really stressful. And then they completely forget that like, this is supposed to be fun. <laughs> You're supposed to be getting something more out of this than just a perfect tomato at the end of the season. And so it becomes either this really stressful, another stressful thing on their plate that they have to deal with on top of everything else that they hate going out into their garden, or they like completely ignore it because it's too stressful to go out there or they give up. And that's like the last thing I want for people. Um, if they are called to gardening, if there's just something about it that speaks to them, I want you to be able to go out there and grow your garden and have it be a fun restorative experience that actually adds to your life and nurtures you as much as you're nurturing your garden versus something that's just making your life even more miserable. So that's really my job as a garden coach is to, to give you the skills that you need and the education that you need to be a good gardener, but also make sure that your entire experience is one that you wanted going into it. So there's a lot of, you know, goal setting at the beginning, really visioning, like, why are you even gardening in the first place? And then setting up your entire gardening experience around getting you those goals. 
Yeah. I love what you mentioned there. You know, you're nurturing the garden, but the garden's nurturing you. It's like a win-win there. So when you started, was it like, okay, I'm just going to start with one or two plants or you're like, this is going to be a full-blown hobby that I'm into and like redesign your backyard. What did that look like? Yeah. Well, so we, um, we actually moved into a home that had a garden bed already in it, which was really helpful. If you can find that and you're interested in gardening to have it already set up for you because that whole design install process is usually one of the mental hurdles that people have to get over in order to get started. So if that's cleared for you already, that's great. Um, but I definitely made the mistake like most beginner gardeners and like went way too big with my garden the first year, uh, nor like with my clients and with people that I give advice to, it's always to start small and to pick, you know, a couple easy vegetables to grow at the beginning. Don't go for everything. Um, you'll go over time with your garden as your skills grow and going too big right away is only going to overwhelm you and like make you more likely to give up. But I got through it. <laughs> yeah. So when you are starting small, you know, you said choose a few plants. How do you choose where to start? Is it just kind of like your favorite fruits and veggies or what's the easiest approach? So I definitely think that there's kind of two things that you want to think about. One is what are you actually going to enjoy growing? And that's usually what you're going to eat, right? Like sometimes there's some value in growing something just for like the pure joy of growing that individual thing because it's pretty or it's unique, or you just want to be able to say like, yeah, I, you know, was able to grow a loofah. Like loofah is a big trend right now. It's, you know, the things that you scrub your body with, those are actually plants you can grow and then you have your own loofah. So like, but that's a trick because it's a tropical plant. So you can't really grow it everywhere. So there's, it's kind of this like badge of honor to say you were able to successfully grow it. So there's things like that. Um, but for beginners, that's not where you're at, right? You're just wanting to like actually see some value from your garden that makes you feel good about yourself and just makes you, you know, be proud of your achievement. So I would definitely say, you know, focus on things that you actually like to eat. Um, and I always recommend people start with greens or herbs. Now, that's not the sexiest answer because I think most people, when they think of starting a garden, they want to grow like those bountiful fruit things, you know, like melons and tomatoes and cucumbers or pumpkins, but those are, those are the crops that are going to be, they're going to take up the most room. They're going to be the longest to harvest. And they're going to be the most difficult in the sense that more things can go long, wrong, the longer that they're growing in your garden, the greens and the herbs, you're going to get those ready for harvest in like maybe 30, you know, some of like the spinaches and lettuces and things. Those will be ready in like a month. So you get like a really quick return on your investment in terms of your time that you've put into it. And you could actually start enjoying your garden quicker, which is, is really important for when you're starting off, you want that quick win. Um, and you don't need as much space. They don't need as much attention. Um, so really those greens, you know, lettuce, arugula, spinach, um, like chard, Swiss chard, kale, those things are really great for beginners. And then herbs are great for beginners too. Yeah. I love that. How can you get like the quick wins? See that, you know, it's, you do have success from it. Not you have to wait an entire year for it. Yeah. Um, what are some of the big myths that you think that people follow or have around gardening when they're beginners? Yeah. I mean, I think the biggest one that I hear from people is I don't have enough time to garden, which makes sense, right? We're all so busy. And to think of, you know, having to have another thing, especially like I work with a lot of moms. And so for busy moms to tell them, oh, now you need to go take care of like another thing and be responsible for another thing that's alive and living and needing things from you. Um, it just, even though they might have an interest in it and it might, you know, call to them, they just are like, I just, this is not the right time for me. I'm way too busy. I can't do it. And 
in reality, a garden, if you are following evidence-based and um, like ecological-based practices, meaning that you're doing what science tells us is actually going to make a successful garden versus there's a lot of gardening myths and old wives tales out there that are either like neutral effect or actually damaging to your garden. So if you're doing the right things and you're paying and you're very aware that your garden is not uh, its own thing, like it's connected to the environment around it. So you need to come into it with a mindset of like, you're working within nature and you're working within your environment. So you have to just approach things differently. And you also have to be maybe a little bit more hands-off than you would expect to be, which in terms of time management is great, right? That means that you have to spend less time out there. Um, and really, if you have a garden that's set up, you know, you, there will be advanced time that you need to obviously learn and uh, design your garden and get it installed, uh, which is why I always recommend that people start earlier than they would think so they have time to do that. Um, but once you have a garden established, I probably out, am out in my garden maybe one or two hours a week, maybe. So everybody has one or two hours in their week that they can carve out for something that's going to not only provide them fresh, healthy food, but also this really great restorative experience that's going to help them in every other part of their life. You know, weeding is one of those things in terms of mistakes. A lot of people don't mulch their gardens, which mulching means put down something on top of your soil surface. So I love straw. Straw is my chart, my mulch of choice. And it's such a simple thing to do, but it basically eliminates weeds. So for all the people that come to me and they're like, oh my gosh, my garden's overrun by weeds. I spend hours weeding every week. I'd say to them, well, are you using mulch? No, we'll just do that. And then you really don't have to worry about weeds. I literally spend in my vegetable garden, um, 30 seconds weeding a week. Like it's like one comes up and I pop it out and it's tiny. It comes out easy. It's just like, weeds are not an issue for me because you take that preventative step that is actually understanding how your garden operates. And it's super simple. It's super cheap. Um, but it's really effective. So there's just all those little tips that people don't necessarily hear about out there and all the noise that I always like to, you know, turn my, my clients on to so that they can really get a great garden, but not be spending that much time out there. Yeah, no, that really is shocking for, you know, me to hear that you only spend one to two hours a week on it. It's like, oh, that's, that's not per day. <laughs> it's not taking hours at a time. And especially the weeding, like I had no idea about that, but I'd love to hear now about your garden. Now that you're, you know, years into it and more of an expert, what are you currently growing? Yeah. So I'm in Wisconsin. So we're ending the end of the garden season here. So not growing as much currently, but, um, I have still a pretty small garden. I'm over a uh, hundred square foot or less, depending on like the containers that come out and come and go each year, but I'm still at hundred square foot or less each year, which is not that large of a garden. I think everybody, when they ask me, they're like, Oh, you must homestead and you must have like acres and you do all your own canning. Um, and I don't, I have a really small, uh, what's called a kitchen garden, which is just basically a kitchen that's set up to accommodate fresh eating needs. I don't can at all. Um, I don't know how to can people always ask me, do you have tips? I'm like, Nope, I've never gotten there. Um, and the reason for that isn't because it doesn't interest me. It's just because my life at this point for me to grow the amount of food that I would have to grow to can and then do the canning process, it's very labor intensive and it's very time intensive. And I have some friends who can, and it's always like this exhaustion at the end of the season, trying to can everything. So I've just decided that that doesn't need to be a part of my life right now. Maybe it will when my kids are older and I have a different, um, 
you know, life circumstances, but I've made that conscious decision that I don't need to can right now. I can, you know, buy that from the farmer's market or I can buy that from um, a neighbor that has a retired neighbor who has a larger garden. So yeah, I think that shocks people. I have such a small garden, but this summer I grew all sorts of things. I had zucchini, tomatoes, cucumbers. I grew squash. I grew, um, you know, during the cooler part of the season, I had broccoli going, peas, kale, lettuce, arugula. I had chives growing this year. I grew peppers. So pretty much I'm at the point now where it's like, if I want to eat it, I'm growing it. It's just a smaller quantity. So like I, I had three pepper plants and that's provided our family with all the bell peppers we really needed for the latter half of the summer. Um, I had three tomato plants, which provided me more than enough tomatoes that we could eat. We had to give away some. And then um, I had two zucchini plants, which I, this is the first year I tried two. And I really think I would go back to one because zucchini plants are prolific and how much they, um, how much they grow and how much they produce. And I think we probably as a family, we're fine with the one, but yeah, it was a really, it was a really fun summer for growing. One of the things we had to challenge with this year was a drought here in our area. So that was interesting to make sure that our, my plants were getting enough water throughout that drought period, but it ended up being still successful and another great year in the books. But that's really cool what you're saying, you know, about your own garden too. You know, it is very small in terms of space at a hundred square feet, but as you said, you only needed one zucchini plant to feed the whole family for zucchini. So it's not like, you know, you need like these rows and rows and like you only get zucchini out of it. Like you were able to diversify it quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And there's, and there's, benefits to diversifying your garden too, from, uh, you know, an insect perspective and a disease perspective, you, you know, monocropping, which is the method that we've fallen into. And for a while, at least in our modern day food supply, where a farmer would just have an entire field of like one crop that carries with it the risk of, you know, an insect coming in or a disease coming in and just spreading through that entire crop and taking it all out versus if you break it up, different diseases and different insects can attack different kinds of plants. So you kind of have this like firewall, you know, if it's a piecemeal approach, they can't really spread as easily. Um, And they also attract different beneficial insects um, and wildlife. So it's, again, it's that ecosystem approach um, by, by not just focusing on, you know, one thing by having a lot of different things, it can, it can bring you that benefit, but still if you're a beginner, don't go hog wild. <laughs> That's so interesting. And so I'd love to hear more about how your diet has maybe changed since starting to grow all of this fresh food. Have you noticed a difference at all or is it kind of the same? Um, my diet hasn't changed. I wouldn't say, cause you know, like I said, I, I have a master's degree in public health. So I'm fairly, you know, aware of the importance of nutrition and, you know, eating organic when you can. Um, though, not eat, don't not eat something if it's not organic. I, that's one of my little, um, soapboxes is that I think sometimes we get so f- focused on organic food, we forget just to eat fruits and vegetables. Like that's the most important thing. If you can't afford the organic, just eat the apple, right? Like it's better to eat the non-organic apple than not to eat the apple, but I digress. So I've, yeah, so I've always been in, interested in nutrition and knowing the importance of it. I think the thing that has changed for me is how I cook. And I think how I cook has translated into probably how I ultimately eat. Um, When you grow a garden, it's better to come at your meal planning and your cooking from a direction of um, kind of like intuitive seasonal cooking off the books, meaning like you don't necessarily have a set recipe you're following because you don't know in your garden what's gonna be ready 
to pick any, any given day, right? So you can't like meal plan the same way as if you're buying all your things from the grocery store. So what you kind of get really adept at and used to is having kind of these like, um, they're like templates for recipes. So you have, you know, a template of a taco, right? So a taco is a shell, a protein, a vegetable, and maybe a starch. And so instead of recipes, I think of in terms of these recipe templates. And then throughout the year, I can just swap in and out the vegetable, depending on what time of year it is, what's in my garden, what's in season at the farmer's market. And then I have a spring taco or a summer taco or a fall taco. And then I'm not trying to either eat out of season, which, um, you know, I think it's, there's a lot to be said, like mentally and emotionally and spiritually from like cooking in your season. It just like feels right. And, you know, if you've ever had stew in the middle of summer, like you just are like, this isn't like, I shouldn't be having chili right now. This is weird. Um, or like a fresh salad, like a strawberry salad in the middle of winter would just feel weird. Right. So that just allows you to like make sure that you're eating in season, but you're not also like reaching to try to find ingredients that you don't necessarily have in your garden. Because if uh, a pepper, if you need a pepper for a recipe, but it's sitting in your garden, it's not quite ripe. What do you do? Like you can go to the store and buy one, but that seems silly because you have a pepper ready to go in your garden. It just needs a couple more days. But then if you wait a couple days, you know, then you can pick that pepper and then use that in, in the recipe uh, or in your, in your cooking, but you don't necessarily need to have a recipe that specifically says, you know, you need a bell pepper. So I think that's just kind of cooking just more on the fly and be more flexible with how I cook to make sure it matches what's actually ready in my garden at that time and use up what you have um, is a really critical skill for any gardener to, to figure out how to, to integrate into their kitchen. Yeah. No, I love that idea with the recipes too, of having the shell, even for someone who, you know, doesn't garden like me, I'm like thinking about that. And I'm like, that's so interesting because you're not coming up with 10 different recipes, but you can kind of, you know, switch in and out of that one, like taco, but it can taste 10 different ways. Right. Yeah. I think even if you don't have a garden, that's a great way to look at things because, you know, you may not have something in your pantry, but you have something else that you could sub in for it. And I think we get maybe oftentimes too focused on like the recipe says I have to have this, but you can leave it out or you can add things in or you can swap out things um, once you have more of a familiarity with that concept. Yeah. And so, you know, I live in a small apartment in Boston and so I don't really have outdoor space, but we do grow a few things inside. So we grow like green onions inside and like herbs like basil and mint and stuff like that. I'd love to know kind of like your advice or just like your insights on indoor gardening. Do you grow anything indoors? How do you feel about, you know, bringing in having those like grow sunlights? Um, just kind of your advice with that. Yeah. So you know, indoor gardening is something that like, like you said, a lot of people, you know, are constrained to what they can do outdoors. If you ha- if anyone has a balcony or like just even a little outside area that can be used for pots and growing too. So I always try to, you know, if people have that to say, oh, utilize that. But yeah, indoor gardening can definitely work. Um, your biggest hurdle with indoor gardening, which makes sense is sunlight, right? Like you're just, you don't have as much sunlight depending on how big your windows are, what direction they face, uh, what kind of you know stuff you have outside your window that might cast shadows, either an awning or a tree or another structure. And so you do really have to be mindful of how much sun you're actually getting. So yeah, I do grow things inside. I, I have an herb garden indoors that I use during the winter. And then I also do have a grow light set up in the basement where I'll grow some like lettuce and um, microgreens and 
um, like the greens that don't need as much sun, I'll, I'll grow down there. Um, it's, you can grow things inside that actually fruit like tomatoes and peppers. It's just more challenging and you, it's a, they get big. So <laughs> it doesn't really work that well, though, if you want to experiment more power to you, but I don't uh, go that far, but really it's the, the, just understanding how much sun you're actually getting. So that's the first step. You know, a lot of people, I think were like, Oh, I have a, this big sunny window so I can grow things in it, but you really need to actually like pay attention for on a sunny day of how much sun you're actually getting in that window, because you really, for, you know, herbs and lettuces, those sorts of things you want to be getting probably at least, um, six hours of sunlight, like pretty direct sunlight coming through that sun. And, you know, if you don't have that things, they, it's not that they won't grow. They just get what's called leggy, which means that they just like elongate and they're really floppy stems that are thin and pale and weak. And they kind of just flop over and like, just, it just doesn't really work. So I would definitely like pay attention to how much sunlight's coming through that window. And then if you don't think you're going to be having enough, then you can get an indoor light. Um, there's lots of options out there. I have indoor, indoor light that we keep in our basement. That's more of like a grow light setup. So I use it in the spring to start my seedlings. So it's more of like, um, they kind of look like shop lights and it's like a larger, um, like rectangular structure and there's two levels. You don't need to go that far. There's lots of, um, sunlight or indoor light options that are set up to like look a little bit nicer now. So you can have it right in your kitchen or you could have it in, you know, your living room even, and they are aesthetically pleasing and they have the light. Um, those are great. Uh, the only thing that I caution people is they are very bright. So you are going to have to get used to it. It's not just like a lamp on in the corner. Um, it's like a very powerful lamp that you're might have to get used to. And so for that reason, it might be better for something that's a little bit more out of the way. Um, I did have an arrow garden for a while in my kitchen and that's a company that does, um, it's like a hydroponic system that has a grow light in it. And we may do with it in our kitchen, but it was definitely like when it turned on and you were in the other room, you could like sense that it came on. It was so bright. So, and my husband was a little eh about it. So, but now I just have my herb garden in the window. Um, and my, I have a self-facing window, which is the, the side of the house, at least for those in the Northern hemisphere that are going to get the most light. So if you have a self-facing window in the North hemisphere, that probably is going to get pretty good light as long as you're not getting shade from outside. Yeah. No, it's funny that you mentioned the arrow garden. I definitely get advertisements for that all the time. So, so I was like, oh, I have to ask then. But it's good to know, you know, that, you know, kind of any space can be used for gardening. There's just, you know, different pros and cons. And it's definitely a little harder for inside. But, you know, that's good to know that as long as you're like paying attention to the light, that it is possible. Um, so thank you so much for all of your advice today. Is there any one last piece of advice you'd love to leave everyone with? Um, I mean, my biggest piece of advice is probably just given the time of year we're in right now, you know, especially for those who have seasons, like where I'm at, a lot of people, um, when I'm talking to them about gardens, they're like, oh, that's, that's really fun. You know, I'd love to work together, but let's like, let's reconnect in like March. And I, I always tell them like, no, we really should start getting to work together like now or next month, because there is, you know, there's a groundwork that needs to be laid for learning the basics of horticulture, especially if you've never grown before, or even if you've tried before, we really need to start over at zero because there's so much misinformation out there that is rampant and I need to teach you the right way. So, um, you know, there's just the learning of the concepts and then there's the planning, you know, getting your seeds ordered, lots of places, especially since the pandemic, 
gardening is on the rise. And so a lot of seed places have like ran out of seed um, or gotten back ordered really early in the season. So you like get your seed orders placed in like December, January, if you're going to be buying seed and starting from seed. And then you need to, you know, if you've never set up a garden before, you need to figure out where you're going to put it. You're going to need to figure out how you're going to design it. How much square footage are you giving yourself to start? All those things you need to do before you even get to planting anything in dirt, which happens in, you know, March. So definitely, you know, regardless if you would work with me or work with yourself, start earlier than you would think and start thinking about it now, even though, you know, you might not be thinking about gardening, really, this is the time of year when gardeners are starting to plan next year's garden and give yourself, especially if you're busy and you have a thousand other things going on, give yourself the gift of that time to really think about it intentionally and consciously and not feel like you're rushed and are doing things the wrong way and be, you know, behind the eight ball next spring when you get started. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. This is the perfect time to start thinking about it, start planning it and ordering it. Thank you so much for joining us today. Where can people find you, work with you, all of that? Yeah. So uh, the best place is just to connect with me on my website. I have a blog there with gardening tips. Um, and then I have information out there about my garden coaching services as well. And that's gardenlikeamother.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.